Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome back to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. My name is Jack McLean. I am the host, and today's episode, I interview Beatrice Devlin. Our most recent Prepare Like a Pro coach, she has recently completed her master's in strength and conditioning and has worked as a strength and conditioning coach for the last three years. Head strength and conditioning coach for the Subiaco women's team in the Waffle W and recently has joined our coaching team. B has been playing football for 17 years and played in the AFLW for both the Fremantle Dockers and the West Coast Eagles. Highlights from this episode. We discuss her growth mindset and how she deals with doubters and setbacks. Key strength conditioning pillars for women preparing for AFL football. We discuss how important it is for strength conditioning coaches to care and to individualize their rehabilitation and return to play programs for athletes and strength conditioning mentors and influences that B's had today. Before we start this episode, if you want to work with B as an athlete, uh, either online or face to face, if you live in Perth, all you need to do is email us at jack at preparelikeapro.com to skip the queue. Let's get into today's episode. Welcome, B. Thanks for jumping on. Not a problem, Jack. Thank you very much for having me and for the introduction. Yeah, but the, the second one, <laughs> around two, I think, fingers crossed my, uh, yeah, my hot spot. For those listening to the podcast, we had, uh, yeah, we, we went through the first intro and we're flying and then my Wi-Fi just completely cut out. So uh, thankfully, we're only five minutes in, but um yeah we'll, we'll we'll go back into for those that didn't listen to the live um take us back to your very beginning with your with your football career um why did you start playing the game and and how did you fall in love with it yeah so sorry for anyone that's heard this twice now um so <laughs> yeah my parents or mainly my dad was a big uh, footy fan he was a Freo member since 1995 so we always had the footy on and it was always something that I kind of saw growing up um and I, I don't really remember what drew me to the game, but I just thought it looked really fun and super cool that people would run around and tackle each other, hit each other, kick the ball really far and have to run run really far and really fast. And there's a little five-year-old that was um, really intriguing to me. Um, yep. And, yeah, just fell in love with the game straight away. Obviously, um, heard a lot of Dad being a little bit upset because Freya weren't too great when I was about four or five. That was like 2002, 2003. So early days. They were on the bottom of the ladder. Um, yeah. But, you know, I still fell in love with it and still loved the Dockers either way. And, yeah, so I started playing. I was kicked when I was six years old after initially when I was five, I was told I had to wait um, a year longer. And uh, mum and dad tell me that I was super upset that I wasn't allowed to play when I was five because that's when all my friends from school were playing. Um, but yep. unfortunately I had to wait a year and I'm sure as many females in sport and SNC probably realise it's not always the most fair or rhyme or reason for anything. It's just purely because you're a girl. Yeah. Um, which I suppose that was my first taste of that, which I didn't understand at the time. But looking back now, I'm like, yeah, probably there was no justification for that other than the fact that I was a girl. But anyway, um, still yeah. play, still played um, when I was six and then played Auskick right the way through to whenever Auskick finishes, um, then played juniors all the way through with the boys till under 13s or year seven, whatever it is. The first, So I played the first full year where you have finals and whatnot. Um, and awesome. I was really lucky that all the teams I was involved, the teams at least I was in, we're really respectful of having a girl. I suppose like the first training session was always a bit weird, like, oh, we have a girl in that team. But I suppose that's why I'm quite a driven and motivated individual because I'm like, nah, well, I'm going to prove myself all these these boys that doubt me. And then, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, so yeah. that, 
that won people over pretty quick. And I mean, I suppose people's parents were probably a little bit protective of me, so it was nice having everyone's support. But I was like, I don't need you to be protective of me. But at least they supported me, and I was really grateful for the junior teams I was a part of that supported me playing. And once they realised I was pretty good, were happy for me to be in their team. So yeah, lucky in that sense. Wasn't always as lucky with the teams that I played against. Some of them were a bit not the nicest, but again, when people question me, I'm just like, well, you know what? Went and played really well, and then people were like, oh, oh, the girl's better than our son, or better than most people. So. Yeah, I suppose that was always been a little bit of a burning fire, and I look at it back. Proven wrong. Like, oh, that's why I'm quite driven and motivated to succeed because it's always been the case. So, yeah. yeah, I love that mindset. That's um, <laughs> that's something we'll spend a bit of time on with the both from a strength conditioning point of view, um, because mm. it is a competitive industry, and you sort of need to be quite um focused on where you want to go. Mm. But particularly as a, as an athlete, and you've played at the highest level, so no doubt that would have been one of your um, strong suits and to help you play it and, and yeah. go through that competitiveness. Um, do you think getting those experiences, whether you call them negative experience or growth experiences, whatever you want to call them, but, yeah, not being able to play at six uh, and then finding other ways to be able to play, whether it be with your neighbours, your family and friends, and, and then still when Auskick is allowed to play with the boys um, and then constantly be challenged, you know, with, whether it be parents or peers hmm. or where you're being judged due to your gender and things that you can't control. Do you think those things like create, like you mentioned, the fire in the belly, like stronger drive, stronger hunger to really um, be successful and and be the best you can be within the sport? Yeah, absolutely. And again, obviously super fortunate and lucky that my parents were like, oh, it's okay. She wants to play footy. I think mum said to me millions of times she thought it was just going to be a little phase and then I'd grow out of it. But uh, pretty soon worked out that I was absolutely obsessed. Um, Everything I owned was football, brought football everywhere. Um, as yep. I mentioned, we're Frio fans, so all my Frio stuff basically everywhere. I'm sure anyone that knew me growing up could can, uh, could attest to that and be like, yep, whenever we had fancy, um, not fancy dress, like free dress at school, we always have something Frio on at primary school. Um, so, yeah, I guess that definitely would have fueled the fire. Um, maybe didn't really realise it at the time, but that's, yeah, definitely why I think I'm quite passionate about what I do, passionate about females in sport because I know, not that I had it, super hard but you definitely definitely hurdles that I had to cross that nobody else would ever had to face because they were boys um, I remember one time playing juniors there was no toilet for me to use so I had to go to the toilet at a car or the shopping center across the road wow. no one went with me I just had to run across the road before the game into the shopping center all on my own um you how know, old were you there sorry I missed it oh I was probably like eight or nine years old <laughs> wow but run across the shopping center go to the toilet and then come back and start the game basically um which, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> um, that's just one little thing. Obviously, always getting questioned and prodded, like, why is a girl playing? Um, again, really lucky my parents, you know, if they ever heard someone say anything about me, it stood up for me. And, um, yep. and then I yeah, would just go play and basically stand up for myself. Be like, well, better than, than most people here anyway. Not through anyone else's lack of trying, but I applied myself really hard and made sure. I was like, well, people are going to judge me. Um, they're going to judge me because I'm really good, not because I'm a girl. Um, so, yeah, I suppose. Unfortunately, in a, well, yeah, a growth opportunity, if you want to put it like that, being only girl, maybe like, well, stuff all of you for not believing in me. I'll go prove you all wrong. And that's something that I think I've carried through throughout my career, through injury things and, again, just being the only girl in situations and stuff like that. I'm like, well, no, nah, like, I can do it. And then I suppose at the time when I was younger, I didn't really realise girls other girls played footy. Like I think I played against Ruby Schleicher who was in my kind of district growing up. So she plays for Collingwood. So it was probably us two well, for a long time. She was the only other girl I saw playing footy. There was a couple of girls in a few years ahead of me. But then when I realised that there was this women's football thing when I got to high school in year seven that other girls played footy, I was like, oh, this is cool. 
not the only yeah. one anymore. Um, but very quickly, even at school when I was in year seven, um, at Emmanuel, quickly worked out that I was still better than most of the year 12s, which I'm sure they would all be fine with me saying because I played and they're like, wow, this kid's good. So that was nice in that regard. Little year seven playing against year 12s, which was. Oh, you played against year 12s? Yeah, yep. Wow. So it was supposed to be a senior girls team, but um, I got in it because I played footy and all the other parents that had followed me from like primary school to high school are like, oh, well, if you're not going to let B play with the boys, you should be able to play with the girls, which. Playing against boys your own age is one thing. Then playing against year 12, so 17-year-old girls was another different thing. But all the older girls in my school looked after me, made sure nobody roughed me up, um, <laughs> so that was nice. <laughs> How good. Geez, so, yeah, from playing, going from one challenge to the next. So you, so you <laughs> played against girls. They were, what's that, five, five six years yeah. older than you. Yeah. And I was pretty little five, as a 13-year-old. Like <laughs> Developed pretty quick, but tiny little 13-year-old me was pretty much skin and bone um so but uh, i was pretty fast so i just ran away <laughs> yeah they couldn't catch her nah. <laughs> and was it that, that that year that you just you realized like wow i can play against adults here, like young adults um like were you aware that the sport was going to go professional for for female women's like um, league was there whispers of it or when did you start to realize okay this could be something that i really start to um yeah she was, you know, it's still, um, still very much a hobby when you go pro, yeah. but, you know, more as a professional um, sort of. Um, I probably didn't realise it was a thing. So that was 2010 when I was in year seven that I did that. Um, I probably didn't realise that there was like then the WAWFL as it was called then until probably when I was year eight because um, that's when I started playing at South Rio and their youth girls, which is basically Colts. Um, yep. So from there I was like, oh, okay, there is another pathway. And that's when I kind of realised that there was state footy for girls too. Um, so I did that in 2013 when I was in year 10 for our under 16. So that's probably when I really started to realize like, oh, I can make a decent crack of this because that's when they started playing those um, exhibition games with the Melbourne Demons and yep. Bulldogs. Um, so that's probably when I really started to realize like, oh, this would be cool. This could be something that was going to happen. And then 2014, 2015, they mentioned that like AFLW was going to start, or sorry, 2014, I think that was going to start in 2020. And I was like, okay, I'll be that in 22. Um, and then obviously got brought forward, so that was super exciting. But, yeah, I suppose when I first started high school, I didn't know it was going to be a thing. Like lots of people were like, where's he going to go from my junior team? And they're like, oh, there's girls' competitions. And I was like, oh, I don't know. And obviously played at school and then South Rio, um, you know, because I, I basically live on the border of South Rio and Ishmael, but closer to South Rio so then went there, played youth girls there, and then, yeah, worked out state footing and it all just kind of same role from there, I suppose. And when you were playing these state, uh, involved in these state, teams and squads uh when did you start getting exposed to like strength and conditioning and, and nutrition and like the lifestyle yep. side of things and starting to i guess uh, you know rather going from footballer to now athlete mode where you're mm. prepare, preparing yourself for performance um i suppose i was always kind of that way inclined i found a little book that i had from probably when i was about year eight or nine so 2011 12 13 kind of era yeah. Um, that I was like writing down how far and stuff I was running roughly because obviously oh, really? garments, garments and that didn't really exist back then, but I was roughly working out how far I was going. So I suppose I've always been a little bit of sports science snuffy too, <laughs> um, yeah. and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I look at it now and I was like, oh my God, I was so overtraining. But, you know, I didn't really know any better. And I thought yeah. more was better, right? And I would do like all these body weight exercises to get strong, so like push ups, sit ups, all that sort of thing. Um, Probably didn't really, like, we had an SNC in our state under 16s, um, so state school girls, but 
because we were still so young and SSA mm. was still kind of this new thing and there wasn't really any money for us to do anything. We didn't really do a lot. We just did extra running, um, yep. which at the time I was still doing athletics and running training anyway, so I was already doing more running um, and just played a lot of sport and loved it, so it was fine. Yep. Um, probably wasn't till when I did state 18s in 2014. Um, so my now boss at the gym that I work at as well, at Luda Sport, Brian, um, he was at SSC for that team with Michelle Cowan as a head coach and um so that was the first time we kind of got exposed a little bit more to SSC again we didn't really have a lot of um access to equipment or anything but we just did some basic sort of body weight hold isometric holds things like that and then our running program was a lot more structured so that was probably the first time that we I, I really got exposed to what a semi sort of actual setup would look like um and then we would have chats from nutritionists and dietitians and stuff like that and we started doing some stuff with well-being. It wasn't really that big then either, but, um, you know, obviously Michelle was really big on that sort of space as well. She talks about that a lot. So that's probably when we started doing all that sort of stuff. And then, yeah, I'd say from 2014, then the next year, 2015, we did a little bit more and then progressively a little bit more, a little bit more till then. Obviously, AFLW starting and first year at AFLW, obviously, we still did gym stuff, but it's changed a lot now that people female athletes a lot more than they used to back then. Um, but that's yep. not really to anybody. It's just people didn't know. And when you're in a setup that was designed or wanted to run like a professional environment, but nobody was getting paid or the hours weren't there, then it makes it pretty hard to get any sort of uh, results out of that. Um, but yeah, sure. again, that's gotten better from season one of AFLW to season five, or now entering season six. So, so yeah. Yeah, and and, and you mentioned um, Ryan being the first sort of strength and conditioning coach um, mm. you're in with influence with working with, and then the athletic side. So. Well, maybe we'll go to the athletic side first from an yeah. athlete athlete point of view, and then we'll go into the strength and conditioning. But um, so the athletics for, for for footballers are listening that that are um, eager to get better with their football. Do you feel like that was a was a great environment to be a part of an athletics program? Yeah, absolutely. And um, obviously, Brian and I stayed in touch for a long time. He was at uh, first SNC at Freo as well, so in the first season in twenty seventeen. So that was really cool to then go, hey, we've worked together before. Um, and yeah. then that year I started training at his gym too. Um, so I think I started getting a gym membership in just after I finished year 12. So in 2016, I think when I started my sports science degree at uni, I was like, oh, like I think I need to get like this body weight stuff or the couple of dumbbells and stuff we had at home. I was like, no, nah, it's not really doing it for me. Um, so I started going to the gym. Um, and yeah, from an athletic side, it definitely sort of been, you know, if you're stronger, you produce more force, which means you run faster, you break out of tackles better. Um, obviously, I know a lot more now than I did back then. And I've been really lucky to work with um, some amazing, amazing people, which I'm sure we can touch on a bit later. Um, but I've had some great role model people in my life in terms, from an SNC and athletic point of view that have helped me probably learn a lot as a coach and really helped me as an athlete as well. So, which I think really helped me a lot um, being an athlete. To then transferring that to being an SNC, I think it's probably hopefully something that can set me apart from a couple, uh, other different SNCs, which, you know, obviously yeah, a great competitive field if you can have some sort of string to your bow. I'd like to hope that that's a good one to have online. So, yeah, yeah, well, you'd have great empathy, I imagine, with a lot of athletes. Yeah. <laughs> um, particularly with, with football, where, you know, there's lots of ups and downs in the sport because it's so demanding with injuries and form. Yeah, form. I've had my fair share of injuries. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So well, you mentioned mentors. Let, let's dive into that. So, who have been some yeah. strong influences for you as as the athlete, and then who have been some strong influences for you as your um, strength and conditioning as a strength and conditioning coach? 
Yeah, I suppose being an SEC now, I probably um, value the people that have helped me in the SEC space a lot. But obviously, I've had lots of really good coaches along the way as well. Um, so, yeah, Michelle Cam would be one of those. She's coached me since I was 15. Um, and obviously, yeah. we're together at Frio and then worked together at West Coast as well. So, I don't think I'd probably be where I am today if it wasn't for having uh, met her. Um, uh, Jan Cooper as well, who's a very prominent um, female, well, female person in, in women's football. She just, you know, if you, if I ever get the opportunity to meet Jan Cooper, she's one of the loveliest and kindest and just, just good humans that you ever meet. And has been part of my journey again um, since, yeah, about 2014. She was the AFL like, women's officer, I suppose, for the mm-hmm. AFL back then. And then she ran all of our kind of high-performance academies um, from our juniors. Then um, I suppose, yeah, more, more kind of recently, um, obviously Ryan from an SC point of view, um, Olivia Del Basso, who was at... SNC at West Coast in my first year there. Um, amazing human, taught me a lot from an SC point of view, helped me a lot with my um, recovery from ACL. Um, yep. So fully credit, like, I don't think, like, I, Ryan helped, like, I got back pretty fit and then when I started working with Liv, just went to a whole new level, taught me a lot, taught me a lot of exercises and then she, obviously she knew that I was doing SNC, so very grateful that she gave up a lot of her time to chat, you know, Shop, Shop, so to speak, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and yeah, someone that I would trust. You know, she wrote me a program. I'd trust exactly like I'd do whatever it said on there because I trusted fully what she would want me to do. And very good at having um, good, open, honest discussions, and very much cares about um, her athletes as people as well as not just athletes, which I think is super important. And that's something that I've tried to take from her if I can be half as good as she is at you know looking after the people she's working with first and foremost, and then providing um, exercises and programming and then coaching that, um, then I think I'd be in a pretty good space as well. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose uh, Tammy Jacobson as well was at SC at Subi for a little while and was at Freo as well. Um, so very lucky to have worked with her too. Um, picked her brain a lot. She was at SC at Subi before I was, so she basically was like, I think B can do it, is ready to do it. So if you're happy to do it, she let me have it and has been really good at, um, you know, if I have any questions. and. Um, she's more than happy to answer them. And then she worked with us a little bit at Ludus as well, which is super beneficial just to have another female on board as well. And, you know, someone who's a little bit older, but has been through some of the, you know, some of the not so fun stuff in terms of being a female in that role. So, yeah, I'd say um, with Liv as well to obviously females is that I would look up to, um, but very, yeah. very grateful for them and their time and helping me and helping me a lot when certain people weren't they um you know still helped me out when i needed it which is super super appreciated yeah it's actually um quite i just real made that connection then like there's a big change in afl with you know aflw um being the last five years and there's lots of growth and momentum by that but also in strength and conditioning separate to that with mm. um with, with women's strength and conditioning coaches all around the world working you know leading leading programs so it must be quite an exciting time now where things are starting to shift and, and old, I guess, strategies. There's still a lot of other, there's still a lot that has it. Um, yeah. You know, there's still a lot of things that are stuck in place and rigid, but it seems like things are starting to shift in more of an inclusive, fair manner. Which, is that how you see it in your, from yeah, your perspective? Yeah, a little bit. I think there's a little bit of that it's changing and then certain things happened um, for the last 12 months, at least in a WA sort of setting that probably knocked that back a little bit, but different things happen for different reasons. But, yeah, to have, 
particularly Liv to look up to, someone that was running an AFLW program and who worked really hard and was an athlete in her own right before that too. To see that sort of progression, I was like, that's like, you know, we talk about it all the time. If you can see where you want to go, yeah, not yeah. that you couldn't do it without that, but it's like, oh, that's someone I really want to look up to and aspire to be like and then to have the opportunity to then work with her and then lucky enough to be you know, a friend as well is amazing and something that I'll cherish forever, whatever happens in, in my career. I'll be like, well, that's great. You know, I got injured and it sucked that I ruptured my ACL, but I use that as kind of a blessing because I don't think I would have had that sort of opportunity to work with her and learn and pick her brain as much as I did had I not ruptured my ACL. So, you know, silver linings, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got such a great, it keeps popping up, your growth mindset, looking at, you know, <laughs> the areas that you can get better. It's, it's awesome. It's super inspiring. Yeah. And for developing footballers that are listening to that and, and have an interest of exercise science and sport and personal training and this fitness industry, um, maybe they're not sure where they want to go yet and, and there's no rush to work that stuff out, but there is a bit of passion there. Um, what sort of questions would you ask people like Liv? Like how would you sort of learn off them? Um, and, and with that, you mentioned how you had a training during from your athletic point of view. Did you also mm. note things down from an S&C point of view or did you more have yep. a different way of... Uh, noting things down for yeah for like we'd be we'd be in the gym and she like, at one point we were learning about like cleans and stuff and we just started doing that so I think I was just finishing my honors then and about to start my master's so I knew that's what we we're going to do with our master's and I've always been really interested in Olympic lifting um so like she'd be talking to somebody else and showing them how to do it and I would just like spy over the corner and then like write some notes down on my phone <laughs> like watch a coach probably look like a weirdo and then I'd be like oh why'd you do that and then everyone else would be like what do you guys always talk about gym stuff for I'm like because it's so cool like um <laughs> or you know super nerd out over like high speed numbers or gps stuff like I remember super lucky like showed me how to use open field and things like that yeah. not opportunities that everyone else got because she knew that I really wanted to know. Um, was really lucky to do that. Um, if I was off the track earlier or in rehab, which happened a fair bit, unfortunately, um, you know, they'd more than happy to let me just sit with the, um, the people that were just sitting with the GPS and watch them do stuff as well. Um, Matt Lester, he worked with us at West Coast. Super, again, um, he worked under Liv. He was super great. Um, we're the same age, but obviously, you know, he's had a few different experiences to me. So it's super cool to get to work with him and we talk, SNC stuff all the time and again super grateful but I suppose yeah with Liv I just always be like oh why are we doing that or you know what's the reason behind that and then I would take notes off that so okay that's why I did that so then I use a lot of the stuff that I picked her brain from in my own programming now so yeah anyway, awesome. I was like, oh, I've seen this program before I'm like oh I wonder who got that from. yeah but I mean isn't uh imitations the best form of flattery isn't it so you know absolutely <laughs> Absolutely. I've been doing that yeah, for yeah. sure on my whole career. Yeah, one, you know, success leaves clues for sure. Exactly. And <laughs> I've learned a lot from a conditioning point of view as well. Like we did, I got super fit somehow. So I'd always, why, why would I do running like that? And then transfer a lot. Obviously, different. Obviously, it was a really good responder to what she was doing and maybe it wouldn't work for everybody. And I've also learned that with my Subi girls. There's things like I would be able to do that I then have to remember, like, hey, everyone's not me. So I have to change that differently, which has been a really good, it was a bit of a challenge last year, but I'm really glad that I got to experience it because I think it set me up better. Um, and the girls are really good at giving me feedback, which is really important for me, and I'd ask them for it, and I'm more than happy to give it, which I think is the most important thing. You've got to be able to tell them what to do and be able to receive the feedback back from it. Um, but having obviously being a player, I think they appreciate it because I've done the work, um, but, and they all know that I love running and work really hard, so there was never any question like, oh, Bee's making us do this, and you know, she'll never do it when I've done it. And, worked You've my been mum for a long well. time so I think that definitely helped like you mentioned before from that empathy 
side of things that they understood and appreciated that what I was giving them was to help them get better and, and I fully am aware of what what can do that because I've literally done it so yeah yeah it's it's powerful it's yeah, um, yeah definitely and, so. and, and from the um like you mentioned the injury point of view we'll, we'll, we'll go through the the athlete version of your life and then we'll, we'll we've already delved into the SC side which we're, yeah. we're both gonna have a bias for but we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the athlete train so you you're into the AFL system, like you mentioned, and um, what did that look like? Um, and what and how did you juggle? We've we've had a few um, athletes that are, you know, semi professional, so they're in the in that system, whether they're VFL, state level, but then they've also got to prepare for, you know, if football doesn't work, but yeah. what am I doing as well? So, take us through how you approach your day, your weeks, um, how much yeah. energy did you spend on your footy, and then how much energy you spend on sort of Plan B, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I suppose. Um, like school, uni, and that's always been drummed into me to be like really important because obviously growing up being a female athlete was like that's not really going to be a thing. And then obviously AFLW did happen, but that's financially obviously not that big of a hit, at least initially when it first started. Um, so uni and school and everything's always been really, really, really important to me. I obviously always more biased towards sport because I love it. Not that I didn't love school, but, you know, sport's more fun. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I've always, you know, got into uni. Um, my first year when I was at Freo, so that was – 2016, 2017 year um, was at uni and I've been at uni basically the whole time I was in the AFL system. So I always had had that going on. Um, yeah, I'd say I probably, if you ask probably my parents, they'd say I put too much time in the footy, but I love it. So it's fine. Um, and I think it helps me get to where I am today. Um, yeah. But always big on studying. I've always made time to study um, and then still have a little bit of balance in my friends. Probably wasn't that great at that in the first two years I was at Freo until I ruptured my ACL. Then that kind of gives you a bit of a reality shock, like okay, there's more to life than this this chasing a leather ball around. Um, yeah. So again, another good lesson that I learned the hard way. But uh, you know, again, super grateful for that happening. Um, yeah, so I think juggling was really tough. I had a few jobs on the go at uni um, as well. So uh, where was I starting? I was working at Masters at the time, which was that uh, home in basically Bunnings, which doesn't exist anymore. Um, yep. And then I started working at Subway and I was doing some stuff for like as an Auskick coordinator. And then as I got towards the end of my undergrad, started working at, at Ludus, which is the gym that I'm still at now. Um, so, and then that started to come up and then you just do lots of little random things on the side to try and make ends meet. And then, yeah, spent a lot of time obviously at football club, um, you know, especially early days that said we were only allowed to be there for like 12 hours a week, but I can absolutely assure you nobody was there for 12 hours a week. It was closer to 20, 25 and, sometimes dragged out to 30 especially in pre-season um you know like our saturday sessions we'd probably get there at 6 6 30 and you probably wouldn't leave the club till like one o'clock um yeah. a bit better like the you know, last couple of years i was at west coast that was condensed down a little bit but early days because i suppose nobody really knew the best way or we had to get a lot done in a very short period of time so they would kind of drag out and meetings would take forever which everybody i'm sure understands so but I think that's just a collective. Everybody gets better at managing their time the more you get exposed to it and the more you learn along the way. So, but yeah, definitely yeah. definitely wasn't the best at balancing, but we got better because of injury um, and just yeah. life issues. So. Yeah, and, and, and that's the, the joy of life, isn't it? It's never going to be always perfect and feeling good. There's always no. going to be a constant learning curve, <laughs> and um, especially when you are wanting to get better and you're hungry mm. to really push yourself, yeah. there's going to be moments of um of ups and downs the injury the, the acl uh, take us through what it's like mentally to go through a year like that um and you mentioned how you 
reconnected with friends? What did you did you find a hobby outside of football? Like how did you sort of go, you know, how has that shaped you to who you are today? Oh, massively shaped me. So before I ruptured my ACL, I actually broke my finger in a scratch match from playing against Adelaide. So busted my little pinky finger. Um, who would have known that would take six, eight weeks to fix like and it was super annoying because I'm right-handed and drive a manual car. Like I couldn't hold on to the steering wheel and then my left hand obviously would have to be on the um, the gear stick so I couldn't drive anywhere for a little while and you don't realise how much you need your little pinky till it's gone. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I just started like, you know, it was my first kind of um, game back, I suppose. So I was playing in, um, it's called the Jam, or it doesn't exist anymore, but it was basically before they moved to Waffle W to start at the same time as W. It's starting for us to go back to and play. Yeah. Um, and we were like, yep, let's go get some game time into you. Um, so I started that first 10 minutes. I think I was playing really, really well. I think I had like 10 touches, maybe not 10, but I had a lot of the ball in that 10 minutes. I was like, oh, happy days, haven't missed the beat. And then just went to, so I was playing as a defender, I think. Um, balls, the person that was kicking it towards my forward kicked it over their head. So I just went to turn around to go leg it back. And then off yeah, the pivot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and it made the most horrible noise. Like, I mean, it sounded really loud to me. I don't know how loud it was to everyone else, but it just sounded awful. And I like I knew straight away that it wasn't good. And we'd literally done um, stuff at uni. Obviously, you do anterior draw tests and that in your kind of ex-physy kind of units at uni. And I was like, oh, no. And they're like, can you put any weight on it? And I was like, my whole leg's going to collapse underneath me if I try to do that. Mm. Um, so that was fun. And then obviously we had to – so I think the, the Frio girls were just coming back from Darwin. So all our staff were just kind of like spitted spatter all over the place and – some of the girls I weren't playing with there were like ringing people and then I had like a physio, doctor, all my friends like, oh, my God, what happened? And I was like, oh. um, so I cried a lot, um, had the scan on the Monday, cried a lot again because, you know, in ACO was at least 12 months. Mine ended up being about 14 months because after I'd had surgery, I ended up getting a blood clot, which was <laughs> probably the scariest thing that I've ever done because you can't see it, you can't control it. Um, you know, you can't really do anything. So that was super scary. Set me behind a couple of weeks and then um, just along the road, you know, everybody has little issues. Um, had some patella tracking issues and stuff like that when I was jumping and things. So that set me back a little bit. Um, but yeah, I suppose, so once I got over the initial being super, super upset and realising that I wasn't going to be able to play the game that I loved and adored, um, again, was really lucky. I had some good friends at the club and outside of that who supported me, um, gave me an opportunity to not be at football. So um i met a guy that i was with for a couple of years during my knee and um we're not together anymore but super great that he was able to you know he trained with me a lot he ran with me a lot um hopefully he uh, didn't get too challenged because i run pretty fast and didn't really like it if he was ever ahead of me so um brought out the competitiveness again <laughs> in me um but yeah like super grateful that uh had at least opportunity to meet someone and spend um, you know, decent chunk of time with him. Um, and yeah, whatever happened was still really, really beneficial and gave me the opportunity to, you know, spread out and do less football orientated things and do more fun things with somebody that I enjoyed spending time with. Um, uni, I obviously focused on that a lot, but my grades went from being pretty good to a lot, a lot better without yep. that footy. Um, yep. And then, yeah, just did more fun things with my friends. Like I was always being pretty strict on what I do, eat, drink, stuff like that. Um, but I suppose when I was in rehab, I was a little, like, still very strict on it. But I was like, oh, well, I can go out for a drink with my friends. Like, it's not the end of the world. Or we can go out for burgers or something because that life balance is, is pretty important, which I definitely learned a lot through my knee. I was like, well, you know, if I, and the goal was always I sat down with my physio, um, Kaylee Payne, who was at Freer at the time, and Ryan, and we both, all three of us sat down and we're like, okay, we're going to come back better. 
than we were before because obviously if we just came back the same, that wasn't good enough because we ruptured, ruptured my ACL being that, that good. So made sure really focused on make sure all our numbers were better or moved better, I functioned better as an athlete and as a human. So, which I think we achieved that, um, you know, this season when I then came back was the best year I've ever played. And I'm, everyone was like, awesome. oh, like, looked a lot fitter, moved, not that I wasn't fit, but like I just was fitter again and moved better, you know, ran better, used the ball and, or not used the ball, but like football wise, it's just everything felt a little bit easier because I had such trust and faith in the people that I'd worked with. Um, knowing that they had my best interests at heart and yeah they challenged me and but it was very much a two-way sort of thing like they pushed me then I pushed them back and it was great because we all all knew what we're trying to get and that was a better athlete and a better outcome for me personally so yeah everyone that was involved in my knees obviously Kaylee, Ryan, Liv, um, Eric McKenzie as well at uh, West Coast too all those guys were like amazing and uh, can't thank them enough for for helping me get through that because like you mentioned it is a very mentally challenging um, you know, there are lots of times that I was like, do I even want to play for you anymore? Like, is it yeah. really worth it? Um, obviously, so when I ruptured my ACL and got delisted from Freo basically because I wasn't going to be ready for the next year, and I was like, oh, that's pretty shit. You know, the team that you. What heavy rehab was that that you got delisted? Oh, like probably a month after I had surgery. I kind of knew, like, as soon as I ruptured my ACL, I was like, oh, well, well this is what's going to happen. But obviously, when you get told, it's not great. Um, so that was hard to hear. Obviously, grew up a Freo fan, and that's all I ever wanted to do was play for Freo. Um, absolutely no hard feelings. Like, I understand. Obviously, that was always something burning in the back of my mind during my rehab. I was like, well, I'm just going to get back, be better, and then play really well and get picked up again. And be like, well, look, Freo shouldn't have got rid of me. <laughs> um, but yeah. that's kind of my little motivation. But no hard feelings to anybody um, at the club. So I have a lot of friends there and really respect what they're doing now. But that was a little fire in the belly again, I suppose. Um, and you mentioned, but again, you mentioned that. And like a period, a fraction, it sounds like, where you're like, oh, do I want to play again, which would be completely understandable. You've done, yeah. it's a long-term injury, the team that you grew up going for and, and were drafted to, so it would be a second home with your connections, I imagine, there. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be your whole world is now, they've delisted you, so that, that's, a, that's a tough, is that your biggest challenge, do you think, of your career so far, that moment? Uh, no, because <laughs> I had a few other injuries again since then. Um, yeah. But at the time it was, um, but I think it helped me get better and, you know, like challenged me again to be like, okay, well, I have to get better if I want to keep playing AFLW. And how, did you, obviously- how did you make that shift of like, okay, this is going to make me better? How, how, how did you get to that um, assertive mode of like, I'm, this is fire in the belly, I'm going to use this? Was that through- uh, I think I basically had it straight away, to be honest. Uh, I like, if people doubt me, I'm like, well, you know what, I'll just go show you that I can do it. That's always just kind of been the way that I am and if people want to challenge me I'm, I think I'm pretty open to that and I'd rather people challenge me than I prove them wrong than them not challenge me I guess prove them right so to speak yeah. um so yeah, I don't know that's just always kind of been my mindset again very grateful for people that I worked with because they all, all had the same mindset as well um so so yeah and I got better at opening up um because of some of the things I was going through not the best and I've gotten a lot better since then as well obviously with COVID and some other things that happened you just yeah, better at realizing like, oh, being vulnerable is not a bad thing, um, which mm-hmm. I used to think when I was younger. But slowly things happen. I have to share this with people. And then you share it. It's like, oh, the weight of the world isn't on my shoulders anymore. And people can actually help you. So, so yeah, that was a big learning curve and definitely helped me get through the other rehabs that I've had to go on through. But everyone always asks me, they're like, oh, you do it so well. I'm like, well, it's not easy. I'm just lucky. I'm quite obviously resilient. Um, but lucky that I have a lot of great people around me. and. I suppose my work ethic comes into that because I'm like, well, 
this sucks. I don't really want to keep doing this. So I'll do everything to the best of my ability to try and ensure I don't go through rehab again. Obviously, things happen and that's out of your control. You can do everything right and things still go wrong. But I like to yeah. be like, at least I know I've controlled of that as much as of that I can. So, Yeah, with the um, athletes that I work with, I, I talk about, you know, you want to try and uh, focus on your future self if you can do, yeah. you know, 80% of you know, a lot of your actions around that you can control that are preparing you for your future self, which is yeah. sort of what you talk about. Okay, how can I get better from this? What, where, mm. where do I want to go? Um, it hurts now, but it's not going to be, you know, going to hurt forever yeah. if I focus on the actions and what I can do, which is, which is, mm. um, yeah, it's love, love hearing that. And, 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 uh, it, it's, it's a great approach because it means that, you know, you're not so focused on the outcomes, you're more focusing on the process and the love for the game, yeah. which is, and I think process driven is always, always better because you know the outcome might not ever come but that doesn't mean you haven't achieved something which is something I used to struggle with as well like the whole am I successful or whatnot it's like well I don't know if you look at it from paper I suppose if you're looking at it from an outcome point of view maybe not but it's like well process wise like I've learned a lot met a lot of people who've still achieved the dream and have played games with AFL so technically yes um, but yeah. growing a lot as a person, so it's like it just, you know, I think as a society, you need to change our perception of what successful is because, yeah, that's very much outcome driven. Whereas I think it should be process, and it's obviously nice if then you get the outcome as well. That's just like the cherry on top. But we talk about that a lot of, at where I work. It's like, hey, we need to get people to change their mindset. I mean, if they don't lose that weight or if they don't hit that PB, that doesn't mean they haven't gotten better. Like if they move mm. better, if they functionally lift it better, then they have achieved goals or if they're playing their sport better because of the strength training they're doing yeah okay they might not have smashed their pp but look you're playing better on the field then who cares what you get in the gym really like yeah yeah that's great if, if you listen to this and you're inspired and i would be <laughs> if i was a young developing athlete uh it be's part of our team she's our perth coach so looking at us for the west west side <laughs> what we need to do is email us at info at preparelikeapro.com and we can uh, get you in contact with with B and, and do some do some work. Hey guys, Paul Curtis here from the Western Jets Football Club. And um, this year I was fortunate enough to get help from uh, Prepare Like a Pro, um, helping me prepare uh, for the draft combine. Um, my normal week would consist of, or seeing as uh, I was trying to improve my 2K, would consist of um, endurance days. Um, I'd have a feel good day where uh, I try and work on my running technique and just feel comfortable in running. Um, have my speed days. Um, have some injury prevention exercises, um, lower body sessions and upper body sessions. Um, what I enjoyed most about the program um, was how Jack was quite invested in me, um, always checking up on me, giving me feedback. Um, we looked at my diet, um, so the stuff off the field, so hydration, sleep, uh, motivation levels and all that. So yeah, highly recommend and yeah, I um, enjoyed the uh, journey. You mentioned that you're doing work in the gym. Uh, do you do some coaching on the field as well? With, with yeah, football? yeah. Love lots of field sessions and stuff too. And obviously, I think that's a good little string to my bow, particularly at Subi, um, can help, you know, if I'm like, oh, we need some extra running and if I can incorporate the ball in some yep. capacity or if we need to do specific running drills, I'm like, okay, I think this will help from our football context. And then, yeah, transfer that a lot to when I work one-on-one -on -one with my clients as well, do lots of, Field sessions, change of direction sort of sessions. Um, obviously, I've been through my ACL. I know how important getting that, um, you know, adding the tools to your toolbox, so to speak, um, to ensure that you've at least done as much work as you possibly can, which is something that I stole from 
Sophia Nymphus. She taught us that one last year in our practice. Like just give people all the tools that they can and then you you give yourself the best opportunity to not injure um, but anything can still happen. Yeah, of course. Oh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a chaotic game, isn't it? You can't prevent yeah. uh, everything, but you can definitely yeah. do, do your best. Um, do your best. You need, need a little bit of luck along the way. <laughs> yeah. So with that, for, for bouncing back and for, for, for an athlete that may be listening to this, the podcast recording, and they, they've hit a flat spot, whether it be a long-term injury, getting delisted, whatever it is, um, you're focusing back on the actions and the process. Mm. And what other things did you do to get back, to get back into the system at, at West Coast? Um, or just asked as many questions as I could, um, backed in the people that I'd worked with to know that they were going to get me in the best possible shape. Um, started playing at Subiaco in 2019. So I, I did my ACL in 2018 and then the year that I was coming back moved to Subiaco and that was, again, probably the best thing that I ever did because the people there were amazing. Um, obviously, I had a lot of um, girls that were still in the AFL system on their list too, so um, Hayley Miller, um, Cara Bowers plays there, but she hasn't gone back there for a little while. But you know, someone that was always super supportive. Um, you know, and just the setup of Subi, I would think, even now, probably a little bit biased, but I think it's the closest thing, at least in WA, to not being an AFL team is the setup that we have at Subiaco and just the people and the whole sort of family vibe. Um, you know, we're very driven to be a community, and I think that was really important to me as well um, to have an external outlet. Yes, we want to win and we're very driven to succeed, but um, went about sort of off-field, having fun and shenanigans, I suppose, if you want to put it. We still yeah. did that. Um, so it was yeah. good to find that sort of balance and just be part of a team that everybody wanted to succeed and everybody wanted what was best for everyone else. So I remember when I got picked up by West Coast, like there's some of the girls from Sydney were the first people that reached out and got in contact with. Um, you know, some of those people there are absolutely amazing to me now and super grateful for all of their support. So anyone at Subiaco, thank you for everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you're giving back now as well by being, yeah, heading um, up the conditioning program. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they welcomed me with open arms. So anything I can do for anyone at Subiaco, um, I'll you know bend over backwards for people there because they they invested a lot in me because I knew when I came over they wanted to try and get redrafted, and everybody there was super supportive of helping me achieve that. So yeah, I cannot be more thankful for the people at Subiaco. Yeah, and, and what about highlights of your career? What are, what are some moments that you look back on and you're, you're super proud of and, and fond of? Um, oh, well, I mean, I suppose the way that I've been able to handle, so obviously ruptured ACL, um, tore my hamstring, uh, grade three tear through my bicep femoris and into the tendon um, yeah. in yeah. 2020. Um, so that was super difficult. Um, that was probably, I'd say that was probably the low light of my kind of career, just some um, things, way things, couple things got handled, and ways that certain things were done. I don't think that was great, and it was super, super challenging because an eight to ten week post surgery is what the timeline I was given was, and ended up being closer to twelve months when I was felt normal again. Um, so um, almost the ACL again, but probably a lot more mentally challenging because I, I, you know, did I worked really, really hard and just wasn't really making any progress for a little while there, but. Again, um, so I had some really great people behind me. Uh, Yippie, our physio at West Coast at the time, Rebecca, well, when I was there, um, Rebecca Yip, super, super helpful. And again, another great name if you ever listens to this. Um, she's still my physio now and just was a really good ear, you know, shoulder to lean on, I suppose, um, and helped me through a lot of little things when I had a couple of difficulties um, sorting out a few things from a S&C kind of viewpoint, but that's okay. Um, but so to then get through that and, and again, learn a lot as an SNC, that was super incredible. Um, but I'd say probably my biggest 
playing highlight would have been playing in the Western Derby last year. So we've been free on West Coast first played at Optus Stadium in front of 40,000 people. It was weird awesome. playing in blue and gold. I always imagined if I was ever going to play in a derby, I was going to be in purple and white. But to be part of that, um, so that was my second game back in the AFL system post um, ACL as well. So, and that was the first home game. So to have all my family, all my friends, um, the yeah, guy that wow. I was with at the time, everyone from Subiaco, everyone from West Coast and people from Freo that I was friends with still all kind of there. So they're like, yeah, look, I made it back. Like that was that was super special. And a lot of my like, work colleagues and stuff all came along. And, yeah, we I think we got smacked. Well, we got smacked. But like to play it off to say in front of that many people and to have everybody that helped me personally there yeah, like, to watch that, I was that was so super cool. And, you know, obviously it was disappointing to lose, but um, I've you know, spoken to some of the other girls about it. It's like that opportunity was amazing, like to run mm-hmm. out in front of the blow-up Google thing and onto Optus Stadium and get to use the change rooms and stuff and have that many people at a women's football game was so cool. And, yeah, for me personally, like it was kind of like a way for me to say thank you to everybody that had helped me because I was like, look, we did it. Like we got got back to where we wanted to, got back in AFL system, back playing, um, If you know, the, it's probably the biggest stage in WA sport. So, yeah, for me that was, that was really amazing to share that with everybody that was a part of my journey. Yeah. Yeah, it's it. A- Another uh, element of you that's coming through this podcast is you, it sounds like you're uh, very strongly team orientated and appreciate those around you. And, um, and it, it, what does leadership mean to you as a, as a leader, like as yourself, but also what, what do you like to see in leaders? Um, oh, I suppose, yeah, people that are driven to succeed for those around them. Um, yep. You know, I want to be as successful as possible so that the people around me can be successful. Um, the reason I went to Subiaco, yeah, because I wanted to get drafted, because of, but because I wanted to help add to that because we were trying to win a flag and that was super close. We still haven't unfortunately got there, but we've gotten really, really close um, to other – well, we've played finals the last three years, but my first two years at Subi, we were minor premiers both times and probably should have won, um, but we didn't for a couple of different reasons. But to be part of a team like that and, you know, to have known that I helped contribute to help get us there, it was really, really cool. Um, I suppose in a leader, yeah, I think the older I've gotten, the more I appreciate when people can open up and be really, really honest and have those sort of vulnerable conversations and just lead by example. Um, you know, I've been really lucky, some of the leaders that I've had. Um, Emma Swanson was my captain at the time at West Coast when I was there. She still is captain now. I think she's really, really good. Like, you know, she, she won't expect anyone to do anything that she won't do and is always the first person to be there if you need you know, help a hand or, you know, I suppose cuddle hypothetically, but isn't afraid to then kick one up your bum as well if you need it, um, yep. which is what I think a good leader needs to do and not just pull everyone along, but like come up from behind, I suppose, and push people up, which I've been really lucky in a work sense as well. Um, obviously, Liv, Ryan, Tammy, people like that are all really good at, you know, they don't just be like, oh, this is what I want you to do, just come follow me. They're very much like teach you what you need to do and like, okay, I'll stand with you and help you do that, not you know, the same like, like don't stand in head. Yeah, like yeah. They'll, they'll actually come with you, not just pull you along, but like, this is what you need to do. There's no point spoon feeding people, um, you know, so they help you learn it and they'll ride all the bumps and mistakes with you, but, you know, you know that they're going to be there to help catch you when you fall, so to speak. So I think that's something that I really appreciate and value and hopefully – and then pass on to other people um, yeah. because yeah, I don't you know don't, nobody likes being told what to do or being like do this do that and you'll get better. It's like well I don't learn anything that way. So yeah, that's what I think yeah. a good leader would do. And I've been really lucky with lots of different people and 
I've definitely missed people, but I've had really, really lucky to have lots of leaders that are like that, and that's also why I appreciate that because I think those people are pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And the 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 trust element of um, within a team and also yeah. with with your leaders, like when you've go from different teams, you know, how did how did how do new teams form that over a, you know this time of year where most footballs witnessing mm. in the best world at all different times, but we're in we're in the off season pre season now. Uh, you mentioned training starts on on Thursday. Um, what are some important pillars for for a team to start to gel and connect over a pre season? Do you think? Yeah, well, obviously you have to build that sort of trust, and I suppose looking at it from an athlete point of view, some of those big you know the big sessions that you do when you you know everybody's trying their guts out, I think. And you can see everyone's exhausted. You're like, yeah, I know that these people are going to have my back on game day because we're all chipping in 110% here. You know, we're all going back and doing our weights after. We're all going back and doing recovery, whatever that looks like for different people. It's obviously different for everybody, but knowing that people are doing that. Um, so that starts to build that trust. Then you just have conversations with people. You just be human um, and talk about human things and not always football. Um yeah. And I definitely think that helps. I suppose, yeah, at Subi, what we're going to try and really focus on from a coaching point of view is making sure everybody understands what we're trying to do as a game plan. So we've tinkered a few little things up and make sure it's really clear and nice and simple for everybody to understand and then allow the girls to then educate each other because I think that really helps. Um, obviously, your coach does all the coaching, but if you can explain it in a way that all the girls are going to be able to talk about it to each other, then you know that they understand it. You probably know that as well. If you can... The best way to teach someone is if then they can teach it back to you because then you know you've yeah. done, done a good job. So, For yeah, sure. just being open with everybody and providing a comfortable space that people feel, feel safe in, I suppose, is the biggest thing, particularly for females. You know, often, often overthink things and I'll be the first person to say that I do that and you just need to feel like you're accepted and safe. So creating that space is the biggest thing I think you can do. But that's the same for any sport, male or female, that's going to be important. But Yeah, yeah, psychological safety. It's thrown yeah. around a lot these days, and um, mm. like you said, trust trust is so important to to have that. Um, in terms of like strength strength conditioning coaches, and, and from the athletes' view, you talked about through the rehab process where you really appreciate like you, the kind coaches that you had, and, and mm. the practitioners really cared for you, and that approach where they said, "Look, baby, you're going to be better by the end of this rehab. We're going to make you physically the best you've ever been." Like so, those those areas we talked about what what success looks like, I guess, from an athlete's perspective. I want a good strength mm. coach. Um, how much they need to care and 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 the individualization. What are, what are, as an athlete? What are some things that have peed, been pet peeves with you when when an S and C um, has managed you, or you know, might have to be an SC physio, whatever it is that you've learned. Like, oh, I know this really didn't sit well with me, and I'm I don't want to be that that person yeah. when I on the other side um, as a coach. Yeah, I experienced a fair bit of that with my hamstring. Without throwing anybody under the bus, I suppose getting treated and giving the same program that somebody's used with the men's program, even though we're females and just not understanding that, that we're different physiologically and adapt differently and having conversations where I thought things were getting missed and then that being disregarded basically. Um, that was pretty challenging and I was like, okay, I'll make sure as a coach that I listen, <laughs> listen yeah. to my athletes Um and respect that they their opinion, particularly if I know that they do SNC as well. They're not just saying this for the fun of it. Um, and get to know your athlete a little bit. Um, don't just assume that every one of them is the same. You have to know them a little bit. Obviously, you don't. You know, you, some people aren't going to gel with everybody. That's going to happen. But you got to at least know a few things about people. Um, yeah. Again, to provide that comfortable and trust trust 
you know, you don't have to like everyone, but you've got to be able to respect and trust them. Um, so we're often service first, aren't we? Like people first. Um, yeah. If you're not servicing them, uh, and like you talked about the care, um, people, you know, you're not going to feel very motivated to follow the program, are you? No, and, you know, as a highly driven person, I'll do whatever the person in charge would tell me, but it's pretty hard when, when as an educated person, you can see that there's flaws in that and you raise those things and then nothing changes. Um, that was super frustrating and really, really challenged me and probably upset me a fair bit because having worked with people that I knew before who would have listened and um, cared about what I was going through to then experience basically the flip side of that, you know, mm. it kind of makes you appreciate a little bit more of the people that you had. You know, oh, okay. like I knew they were going to do a good job and then work with someone that essentially wasn't. And you're like, oh, like, okay, that's why that person was doing such a good job because they yeah. cared, because they listened, because just the way, you know, well, I mean, I'm not sure how much you guys talk about it, but anyone can write a program, but it's how you deliver it that is the most important part of our job. And 100%. yeah, so that was a little, little pet peeve and then just missing, you know, letting people miss certain things in the gym or cut out doing things like their Nordics and stuff like that, which we all know is super important, particularly females who probably haven't had that much hamstring strength ever. Um, so to make sure girls are doing little things like that, um, doing their wellness, checking in, you know, filling out their RPA and stuff like that is super, super important, um, I think. And actually having someone who goes through and reads the red flags on the wellness stuff and making sure it actually something happens about it, it doesn't just get, you know, or tick, we did wellness, actually follow up on it and make sure it gets checked and, have the right people in place and make sure that they're doing their job basically and not leaving it up to other people. Um, that was super frustrating. But, yeah, so at least I'll be like, okay, make sure I don't ever do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just because someone's in a position doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to be great at what they do. So that's a, Yeah, that's a which isn't always that person's fault, but, you know, you got to understand. Yeah, I suppose if, as long as you understand that as an athlete and continue to try and help them grow whether they want to or not, that's the best that we can do. Yeah. No, thank you so much for sharing that. And um, we learn from people's, you know, what, what works well for people and, and, and success yeah. leaves clues, like we mentioned, but also we learn from people's experiences where, um, you know, maybe aren't so great or negative or however we want to frame them, but um, it allows people to be aware, maybe going into, and if you listen to this, you know, as an athlete, like you've talked about throughout this whole podcast, you want to challenge people that are helping you, you know, in a respectful way. But if yeah. it doesn't sometimes sit well with you in your gut, speak up and, and ask yeah. a question. A good practitioner will should be able to justify it, and and uh, and even if they've made a mistake, they'll put their hand up and say, "Like I've done it before," and you, everyone makes mistakes. Um, yeah, just own the mistake, sure. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just own the mistake, be open and honest. And um, no, thank you so much for for being open and honest and sharing that. So for, <laughs> you've mentioned a couple of times. It'd be good to dive into it with detail. Um, female footballers, and there's some different um, different elements of, of focus for mm. it. What are some key pillars when you're working with a young female developing footballer um, that you know people should start taking on if, for the female listeners in their strength yep. and conditioning? Um, try and get an understanding of how much they've done before, because um, yep. obviously load, load monitoring is super important for anybody. But um, girls particularly will either have overtrained for a long period of time. Or undertrained, there seems to be there's no one that's really kind of done it right, <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. And I mean, I know at least why I overtrain, and a lot of the girls that I know that overtrain, it's just because you feel like you have to do more to get better. Um, yeah. And it's a really hard mindset to get out of. Um, but that's the main reason I think most girls do it. Um, so trying to understand where they're coming from and what their kind of mindset is, 
and just getting to know them as a person. I think the girls definitely, obviously being female athlete myself and working with them and just knowing some of the teammates that I've had, girls will appreciate it if you get to know them. And, you know, like I mentioned before, build that trust is probably the biggest thing and making sure you understand that there's differences between men and women. Obviously, your menstrual cycle, you've got emotions different, um, you know, particularly females going up through the higher system, a lot of us will have different jobs or other commitments outside of football because obviously it's not full-time. Um, so understanding that and knowing that you're probably going to have to think for the program based off a number of different factors, but being okay with that and finding alternatives to things that they can do, I think is the biggest thing for any, well, I mean, it doesn't even matter who you're working with, that's for anybody, but yeah, just building that, I think building good rapport and connection and relationship is the most important thing for any athlete, but particularly for females, because we need to feel like we can trust people um, and trust people that we're working with. And if we can't do that, then it's not going to end well for anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, the the sport is the same, like the demands are the same and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, like you're saying, it's the history. So f- footballers, uh, uh, other you know, there will be footballers that have had the experience like yourself where you played your whole life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and there's girls that are getting plucked from other sports that have never played in their lives. Yeah, so obviously right. you have to yeah. tinker that up for them too. Yeah. yeah. And what about things like, um, you know, the Q angle at the hip, menstrual cycle, sort of these things that, you know, uh, are different from men to girls, like uh, from men to women. Yeah. How does that factor in how, and how do you manage that in part of the load monitoring or monitor, wellness monitoring? Is there any difference in the gym with the, with the hip, hip angle with different exercises or is it that doesn't change things too much? The you? gym per se I wouldn't have thought changes too much, but I suppose the way you pick exercises and, you know, obviously the way we produce force is probably a little bit different to guys. Um, not that it's everybody, but females tend to be a little bit more quad dominant, so really trying to focus on that hamstring side of things. Um, and then some girls' running mechanics are quite bad just because, you know, fundamentally learned differently. So really trying to focus in on making sure they get in those, that, you know, triple extension, so to speak, doing that sort yep. of thing. Um, and then just make sure you actually ask questions around their menstrual cycle because obviously, you know, if you're having your period, you'll be the way you, you're physically functioning as a human hormonally and just, you know, emotionally is going to be quite different too if you're not. So just making sure you understand kind of where they're at. So. If you say something to someone and they snap back at you, you quite understand why. Um, yep. Or, you know, that they might be more fatigued at certain phases of the menstrual cycle versus different phases. So just trying to get an understanding of that and make sure you're asking the right questions and having, I mean, we're super lucky at West because we have great wellness staff, but mm. um, they can't know if that question is not being asked. Um, and, you know, those staff particularly were definitely not full-time, so they couldn't always be there, so have to make sure as SNC and high performance staff that we're covering for when those people can't be there or relaying the information to them so they can do their job as the best that they can. So, yeah, um, yeah understanding and, all those different Yeah, it can, could it almost be um, an advantage with it when you're in rhythm with your, with your menstrual cycle and your football yeah. where you can sort of predict, okay, I know that this is coming and I, that's going to be an easy feel-good day for me. I'm going to recover yeah. on that day and then I'm going to be feeling really good here. I'm going to up my loads and my intensity on that. You know, uh, is there a bit of a predictive nature? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, some girls, I mean, we had a chat about it last year, West Coast, and a lot of us were like, oh, yeah, we didn't even realise because I suppose you just kind of get used to it. You're like, oh, I didn't realise it affected me that much. But then when you actually start to have the conversation, you're like, oh, okay, that's why I'm really hungry during this period of time. So I'm um, dietitian at um, at West Coast was really, really good. Um, yep. And she was really big on making it feel normal that we had this and then the girls not feeling bad for eating certain things, trying to get rid of that 
stigma between good and bad food and just having food as a whole and then there's food that we should eat all the time and then there's food that we should just not have as much and it's not bad if you eat it it's just don't eat it all the time because obviously higher in sugar and things like that but that doesn't mean you shouldn't have it it's just more of a sort of a treat um, which I think is a really good way to frame it and then just trying to drift away from some of that body image stuff which I know I have and I'm sure lots of female athletes have struggled with because you know you have to look a certain way so trying to get rid of that sort of stereotype is something that she was really big on and something that I've carried over from now that I've left the system but you know having been someone that was a really big advocate for what she was doing really bought into so try and and help my clients through that as well and just know like there is no ideal female body type there's you obviously can tell stereotypically probably when a guy you know is an athlete or not but there's no and that's not saying that there has to be something like that for guys either, but just trying to drift away from you don't have to look like whatever that person on Instagram looked like. Like there's no set. Yeah. You have to be this size, this much muscle, blah, blah, blah. Like trying to make yeah. girls just feel comfortable in their own skin. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pip Taylor, the d- dietitian, she worked at Brisbane for a period of time and she was on the hmm. podcast ago and we talked about this and she put it really nicely where, you know, at the end of the day, as a footballer, you want to measure yourself on your football performance. and Everything, everything you're doing should be measured off that and, that, and that's yeah. what your, where your energy should be if you're focusing on your image it's a distraction um yeah you know, just, and, it's fatiguing mentally that you have to worry fatiguing. about this all but i mean it's something that we've all had to worry about just because the way society is obviously puts a lot of expectations and pressure on women particularly i'm sure boys feel it too but um you know that we have to look a certain way and if we don't we're not good enough which at least like i know i personally struggle with a little bit and i'm pretty sure some of the other girls that i've played alongside have probably struggled with that too so just trying to change that whole stigma so it's not there so girls can just go oh this is me i play footy yeah. and i play footy well still so it doesn't really matter if i'm a size eight or a size 16 or like whatever like it doesn't matter how yeah. it shouldn't matter how they look so yeah and it just um feeds into the power of that psychological safety we talked about before in a group setting to feel comfortable yeah. to, to open up yourself and be vulnerable and then yeah. in that environment this is that's where the magic comes within a club because you start to learn and have these conversations and build yeah. your awareness 100%. And, um, that's really good. Yeah. So, I think it all comes down to language as well. The words that you use can make a big impact. And as I mentioned before, we tend to be really big overthinkers, females. So try not to use things that are going to make people, oh, my God, he said that or she said this. So I think just the way that we've got to frame things, uh, which we're all getting better at, I think, uh, to suit everybody and not be so blatant and <laughs> disregarding of how people will take that message. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, great message. We'll, we'll move into the personal side now, the get-to-know B side. Um, so we've spent a fair bit of time on the professional side. This is the, <laughs> the light and a bit of fun. So the first one um, is which movie or TV series has impacted you the most and why? Impact. Um, I love underdog kind of movies. So Million Dollar Baby is probably one of my favourite movies. I cry all yep. the time, but obviously without ruining it, pretty much I haven't seen it, but female wants to go do boxing isn't allowed to and she's like stuff you i'm gonna do it anyway um there is swank she's super cool she's actually there's a few movies that i like with her in it just because she's yeah. just a very she commands the screen and does that really well and clint eastwood's in that movie as well so he's obviously yeah, like, it's a great movie sort of polarizing figure but a very good actor um and just a really incredible movie and she you know, everyone doubts her and everyone's like she can't do that and then she does it and then she succeeds and does really really well and yeah, a, an incredible movie, um, which, yeah, obviously I can draw a lot from because I kind of understand what she probably would have gone through um, yeah. in that sense. Um, um, yeah, just kind of any of those 
I really like goodwill hunting as well. Different, not nothing to do with sport, but again, someone that was, you know, just shot down because they were poor and whatever and nobody believed in him and then turns around like he's absolute genius and can do whatever he wants and then people finally take notice and he's like, well, this is not me and now I don't want all this pampered stuff. Like, it's okay, like you can live your life without that stuff. I can be smart and not have all this money in the world and then he just kind of does what, what makes him happy. So that, again, is a really good movie for anyone that wants a nice kind of inspiring feel-good movie. Those two, well, the first one's a little bit sad, but the second one definitely is pretty good. Yeah, that's a good balance between the two. Um, fa- favourite inspirational quote or, or life motto? Hmm, I love my quotes. Um, I think most of my Instagram feeds filled with quotes. Uh, different times of my life, they've been a little bit sad or <laughs> whatnot, but, you know. Yeah. Um, favourite? Um Probably from a sporting context, um, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. I really, 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 really like that one. Um, and then I suppose one that kind of resonates with me is just a little bit more depressing. It's just like um, just because someone carries it well doesn't mean it's not heavy. Um, so I suppose yeah. the way that I look at that is, you know, and lots of people say to me, like, oh, but we didn't know. And I was like, okay, well, just because I can handle it doesn't mean it's not hard. And I'm sure there's plenty of people in the same sort of boat. So I suppose what I take from that is just like checking checking yeah. on your strong friends or checking on people that you perceive to be something that maybe they are struggling and they just don't really know how to talk about it. So, yeah, that's another little bit of a sad one, but I really, really enjoy that one. Yeah. And it'd be popular within athletes, I reckon, that one. That's a, that's a good one you raised. Mm. Um, your work life, what makes you angry? What are your pet peeves? Well, this could be a long one. Work. Um, well, we had this at work the other day. Um, the guys decided to just keep leaving um, all their dishes in the sink um, and me and our ex that works at our gym were cleaning up for a bit and then we were just stopped and then suddenly the dishes just kept my, pound, uh, sorry, piling up and nobody was doing them and I was like, this is disgusting. Um, <laughs> so that was a pretty big pet peeve. Um, and just when people leave stuff out of the gym, like I hate, I hate when people don't put the weights in the right place or they just leave them on the floor. Um, some of the boys at West Coast were atrocious. Like we'd get in the gym and there'd be like trap bars and plates like in the middle of the floor, nowhere near a rack. And you're like, why is this even here? And then they would try and blame us for it. And I was like, oh, no, that was your mess. Like if you ever look at the gym when the girls finish, it's clean because, you know, it should be clean. So big respect on uh, cleaning stuff. Obviously COVID now as well, wiping stuff down. But I was, I liked doing that before anyway. Um, but yeah, that's probably my biggest pet peeve, pet peeve at work when, People don't clean up just in general. Just yeah. you got to respect where you're working um, and the gym won't tidy itself. And then if it's not tidy, people won't know where to get anything from. And then, yeah, just need to look after it. Yeah, exactly. Respect your place. That's, uh, um, and then what's your favourite? These last two if, for a COVID-free world in Perth, this <laughs> would be pretty, pretty normal anyway, but what's your favourite way to spend your day off? Uh, walking my dog, Sheba. Um, little, oh, well, she's not little. Um, she's a Doberman. Um, so I love taking her out and about. So we go to lots of sort of like parks and, um, you know, sort of nature walks. I love that sort of stuff anyway, but I love taking her um, because it's fun and she's super great. And, you know, if I'm having a bad day or whatever, she'll come sit at my feet and she just knows. Dogs are just great. They just know. Um, very clingy dog, but I love it. Um, I bring her to the gym with me sometimes too where I work. Um, she's pretty well behaved. Um, and just loves to cuddle. So that's probably my favourite thing to do, get out, get out to the hills or um, took her to Kings Park or to Frio, somewhere like that, and just, just walk her around and just explore the world with my four-legged friend. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, my, 
my four-legged friends just see it's a bit hot here in Melbourne today and he's <laughs> getting used to it. So he's, he's a greyhound Kelpie. He's got more oh, greyhound nice. in him. Completely just parched on the ground right now. Oh, I feel <laughs> like they'd probably get a long shaper in you. Yeah, absolutely. Right yeah, they'd have a good run around. Yeah. <laughs> um, favorite holiday destination and wide world worldwide. This one. Um, I've never left Australia, so <laughs> this is pretty boring. Um, I would love to go to Canada. I think that would be really cool. Um, you know, go watch some American sport and stuff like that, and explore kind of the. The environment over there looks really cool, but I've never been there, so I wouldn't know. Um, but uh, down south here in WA, so I just came back from, well, not just, but went down to Denmark and did Bluff Knoll a couple of weeks ago with some of my friends, and that was amazing. Like Denmark, Albany, Margaret River, obviously is a little bit different direction, but those sort of three places are incredible. So if anyone ever wants to come over to WA, that is where I would send you because it's just so pretty and the countryside is so nice and everyone down there is super friendly and it's just so nice. You can get out in nature and just explore and take in the world for, for everything that is good about it. And obviously we can all get a little bit caught up in our lives, but then just getting back to the natural environment. It's like, oh, this is so yeah, pretty and so relaxing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, well, thank you so much for jumping on, B and, and joining our team uh, as, as part of our coaching team at Pair Like a Pro. Um, I know you've got your own podcast. Give us a plug. What, what's your podcast all about? And for those that want to find it, where can you find your podcast? Yep. Uh, my podcast is The Buzz with B. Um, pretty catchy with the name, I reckon. Um, you find us on Instagram, so just at The Buzz with B. Um, we're on Spotify as well and Google Podcasts, I think, but I don't really know if people use that. But that's where you can find us. Um, so the kind of idea behind it. Initially, it was to get like our sort of members at Ludus on there to share some of their stories. And then obviously, I have a lot of connections through football um, and just sport in general. So I've got a lot of my teammates from West Coast trying to get a few more of the girls from Frio and just different staff members that I've met along the way. So SNCs, dietitians, physios, um, you know, anybody that I've kind of known and reached out to um, on there just to share their story and obviously a little bit biased towards female sport and female athletes being a female athlete but i think those those people need their stories heard too not saying that the boys don't and looking to try and get a few more of the guys on there as well just to balance it out a bit more too because obviously you know equal world for everything um but yeah just getting people's stories out there so you can learn a bit more about them and let them just explain how passionate and why they're passionate about what they do and go through some things that maybe people didn't realize about certain people so they go, oh wow and connect with them on a different level potentially people will learn something from that so yeah. absolutely no, no doubt they will so yeah no make sure if you're listening in and you, you enjoyed uh this chat with b which i certainly have to um <laughs> yeah, you can find chats um with buzz with b which is great so what, what's on the horizon for the rest of 2021 for you there what's the next couple of months got installed um getting back to pre-season um at Subiaco. Hopefully getting so through. Un- training and huh. your head strength. Oh, how to take us through that. Yeah, last year was a little bit easier because obviously I was still on the Eagles list. So we would train on alternate nights. So then obviously wouldn't train when I was at Subiaco. It could just be SNC. Um, and then by the time I went back to Subiaco in season, there, well, obviously there's a lot to do still, but there wasn't too much that I had to jump out for because um, we were pretty lucky. We didn't have too many injuries. So must have done a pretty good job. <laughs> um this year, again, will be a different challenge, though. But um, uh, Liv, my friend, is doing my program at the moment, so she will look after me and then I just have to look after everybody else. So I'll okay. yeah, get my running and stuff done probably before the girls have to do their conditioning so that I can run it. 
and teach them what I need to help them do. But um, okay, so you'll do conditioning, then you'll do the skills with the group, and then you'll be the yep. conditioning coach for yep. the run blocks skills. Yep. Yep. So that's what we did nice. in season last year when I came back. Um, so, so hopefully, that's the front yeah. when you're a coach and when you're an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the girls are really good. They're super accommodating. Um, and then, yeah, just trying to um, sort a few things out before the end of the year. I run all our sort of social events at my workplace too. So just planning our Christmas party at the moment and, yeah, just make sure everyone's programs are ticking along. Got a few books that I'm trying to um, finish and read because I, I like reading as well. Um, and then, yeah, that's, there'll be Christmas and then New Year and then, boop, <laughs> go yeah, again. Yeah, a new year on the, on the horizon. Mm. Well, thank you for your time and it's been great to share okay. your story. Um, yeah, inspiring story of, of dealing with the ups and downs of football and, um, and you're the doing big things in the, in the strength and conditioning industry. Yeah, the joys of sport. Um, but I know I've taken a lot out of it and I'm sure whether you're a footballer, an athlete or um, an S&C, um, there will be um, some great things that people have taken away from it. So thank you, V, for coming on. No worries. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great and great to have you. Like I um, mentioned earlier, guys, B's part of our team. So if you want to work with B, uh, email us and we'll hook you up and we'll get you on the program. But thank you for tuning in live as well, guys. Our next podcast, we're actually, gyms are back open in Melbourne. So I'm restructuring my life, which is good. Yay. So we're back in the gym, which is good. So live chats at the moment are on hold. Um, I probably will move to looking to do those uh, at an earlier time rather than at night time with the gyms open. We'll probably do them like 10 a.m. or something like that. But I'll keep you guys up to speed on the Instagram. So thanks for tuning in tonight and I'll keep you guys updated. Until the next episode. Cheers, guys. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian from Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is, um, it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with Academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot.
Um, mate, my, my question to you was you spoke a, a, quite a bit about um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or um, do physically that um, you wish you either knew or did uh, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it, yeah, certainly, yeah, has been massive for me now and, and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is, is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts, doing a, a journal every day just a bit to say what I'm grateful for, sort of three things. And um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to, yeah, like reset and, and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about, you know, that there is more to life than football or, you know, might be whatever as an SNC coach, you know, if something's you're having a hard time, um, it can be massive with just, yeah, opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble. Um, yeah. So that's that's been huge. Um, I think I wish back then when I was younger, I asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things. Mm -hmm. I think I was a bit single-minded back then and, um, you know, I thought there was one way of doing things and, um, if I kind of didn't have that fear of, you know, asking a silly question or fear of judgment, it would have got me a lot further and I probably would have learned a lot quicker. Um, and yeah. and yeah, like just, yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just, yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.